Let's bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for the blessings you've given us. We pray that what we do and what we've done throughout this week and what we do today would be honoring to you. We pray that our lives would be reflective of your son and and an example that uh, he said and that we would follow and do in in similar ways. And we pray for your blessings upon those here, upon those watching, upon your people throughout this world, worshiping you in spirit and truth. And we ask that your uh, blessings would always be here as it is today. And we ask this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be uh, seated. It's a blessing to be here today. So I want to begin today by asking a very simple question. That is, as believers in Yahweh, are we thankful? Are we thankful as believers? You know, I believe being thankful or appreciative for what we have is an important part of what it means to be a believer. Being thankful, being appreciative, being grateful for what we have. You know, the first thing I want to talk about is being thankful as a choice. Being thankful is a choice. As human beings, we can choose to be thankful or we can choose to be ungrateful or unthankful. So much of life is about choice, and I think sometimes we miss this. We, we forget that we can choose to be grateful. We can choose to be thankful. We can choose to be miserable. But we can choose. We can choose to be positive. We can choose to be negative. And listen, nobody can force us to make one or the other. As believers, we have the power to choose which one we will be. We have every reason in the world as believers in Yahweh to be thankful, though, to be grateful, to be appreciative of what we have. The most important reason is obviously our relationship with Yahweh and Yahshua the Messiah. Through Yahweh, we have an Elohim who cares deeply for us. And we know through our Savior, we have a mighty one or a, 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 a Savior who sacrificed his self for our sins, and also an example that we're to follow. Now, beyond that, there are many other reasons to be thankful, and I think sometimes it's important to enumerate these reasons as to why we should be thankful as not just believers, but as people in general. If we have a loving spouse at home, we should be thankful. If we have children who love us and love the faith, we should be thankful. If we're alive and in good health, we should be thankful. If we have a home and food to eat, we should be thankful. If we have a job that provides for our needs, we should be thankful. If we have an extended family who loves and supports us, we should be thankful. So many reasons. If we have an assembly that we can go and worship and fellowship every week, we should be thankful. If we live and worship in peace, we should be thankful. And beyond these examples are many other reasons why. As believers and as people, we should be thankful, we should be grateful, we should be appreciative. The sad reality is, though, many people today have all these things, and yet they find themselves miserable and always focusing on what they don't have. In a recent Harvard Youth poll, they uh, polled 2,513 youth, ages 18 to 29, 51% of these young Americans said that they suffer from feeling down, depressed, and hopeless. 51%, down, depressed, and hopeless. As believers, we should always focus on the blessings we do have and not on items we don't have. Listen, there's always reasons we can choose to be miserable. There's always reasons we can look to to be negative. But there's also many, many reasons to be positive, to be thankful, to to be appreciative of what we have within this life. But we have to choose to focus on the positive. This is one reason why I believe Yahweh commands us not to covet what belongs not to us, not to be concerned about what others have. Focus on us. Focus on what we have. Focus on the blessings we have. Whether it's a better job, a larger home, a better vehicle, we should always remember that a person is not defined by his or her possessions. So many people today, they see their worth by what they have or what they've accumulated or what they've amassed within this life. Look, I have a big home. I have a prestigious car. I have a a great job. And because of those reasons, I'm a better person or I've succeeded. Listen, none, none of those reasons really show success. I believe it's entirely possible to be dirt poor and yet to be happier 
to be more thankful, to be more appreciative of what we have within life than those who have abundance. In fact, I've read some of the most unhappy people are those with wealth. And, in fact, those who've won the lottery. I'm going to share with you some stories. I found an article from Time Magazine. It chronicles multiple people who've won the lottery and some of the stories as a result. So I'm going to share some of those with you. Again, this is from Time. There's a URL if you want to look it up. Uh, Jack Whittaker, and the quote is, I wish that we had torn the ticket up. So Jack Whittaker was already a millionaire when he won a $350 million in a lottery in West Virginia in 2002. The then 55-year-old West Virginia construction company president claimed he went broke about four years later and lost a daughter and a granddaughter to drug overdoses, which he blamed on the curse of the Powerball win. According to ABC News, my granddaughter is dead because of the money, he told ABC. You know, my wife had said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up, too. So that's one example of somebody who won the lottery, won it big, gained lots of wealth very quickly. Another example here is Sandra Hayes. These are people who you've loved deep down and they've turned into vampires trying to suck the life out of you. I see, quote. So the full story is here is that Sandra Hayes won the Missouri lottery. So that's here in Missouri in 2006 and split a 224 million Powerball with a dozen coworkers. The St. Louis woman is now a retired social worker and wrote the book, How Winning the Lottery Changed My Life. She told the Associated Press she had to, quote, adapt to the new life, which changed how she saw her closest friends and, or family and friends. Quote, I had to endure the greed and the need that people have trying to get you to release your money to them, she said in 2012. That caused a lot of emotional pain. These are people who've, you've, who you've loved deep down, and they've turned into vampires trying to suck the life out of me. You know, I've told people over the years, if, if I uh, would have the choice of having a, a, you know, a billion dollars, I probably wouldn't want it. I really wouldn't. Just the, the pain and the, the change in life that it would cause, I, I don't think I would want it. And uh, these are stories as to why... It does. It changes who you are. It changes your life. It changes the perspective of those people around you. It changes you in, in many, many cases. So one more story here. Don and Milken. This is my life was hijacked by the lottery. Don and Milken won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 2007. She said the big win ruined her life and led to emotional bankruptcy. Most of us think that winning the lottery is the ultimate fulfillment, but I found that wasn't the case, she wrote a blog post in 2014. Most people look at winning the lottery as some magic pot of gold waiting for you at the end of the rainbow. The Long Island woman said she considered herself a happy person before the win. When we won the lottery, my inner dialogue was manic. I became more concerned about how I was being judged and perceived, not realizing I was the one doing the judging in the first place, she wrote. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery. You know, from this article, we find that winning the lottery is not always a good thing. Earning mass amounts of wealth overnight is not always a good thing. As we heard from these testimonials, they were happier before the money. They were happier before the wealth. They were happier before winning big with the lotto. Many people believe if they only had more money, if they only had more wealth, if they only had X, Y, and Z, that they would be more content, that they would be happier, that they would have more fulfillment in life. Or the reality is this simply is not the case. I've met many believers from poor countries throughout the years, and again, I can tell you this is not the case. From what I've found... Those who have less often have a deeper faith, a deeper faith, a more serious faith, a more grateful appreciation for life. For example, I follow some of the brethren from Africa on Facebook. In some cases, they worship under um, simple open pavilions. Some I've seen even just worship outside. But from the videos, you can see that they're happy. 
They're thankful for what they have. They don't have much, but they recognize what they do have. They have one another. They have an assembly. They have faith. They have a devotion in Yahweh. And yes, sometimes all they have is a simple roof over their head and nothing more. But for them, that's enough. If we ever find ourselves grumbling and wishing we had more here, let's be mindful of what we have. Let's be mindful of what we have here at this ministry. Believe me when I say, Yahweh has blessed this ministry beyond measure. There is no reason for any of us to ever believe that we need more, to ever believe that we don't have enough, to ever believe that we need that one more thing. We have an abundance here, more than many have within this world. Some days I look back and I relish the day of small things, the days when we were worshiping in homes, the days we would have game night and we could all fit under within my home, where those days are no more. But they were good days, and today is a good day. But we should never forget the day of small things. Now, in Luke 12, verse 15, Yahshua speaks about not defining a person by what they have. Luke 12, verse 14, uh, 15 says, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Yahshua begins here with a warning. With a warning against covetousness. In the Greek, the word covetousness refers to greed. So Yahshua here, he's warning us about greed, about wanting and needing too much within this life. As believers, we're not to be greedy, but we're to be satisfied with what we have. We're to be satisfied with what Yahweh has blessed us with. Again, there's always that one more thing within life. But we don't need... Yahshua goes on to say that a man's life is not defined by the possessions that he's accumulated. So many people today see their net worth through what they've amassed within this world. Again, if they don't have that big house, if they don't have that fancy car, if they don't have that prestigious job, that their net worth is less than somebody else that has less. Our net worth is not defined by our possessions. Our net worth of who we are as a person is not defined by the possessions we've accumulated. Our net worth is defined instead by the character. You see, this type of Thinking is counterproductive. It is contrary to Scripture. The worldly things that we gain in this life inevitably pass away. And as Scripture says, they mean nothing. I've seen enough people now succeed in life, and as they get older, they lose everything. And it's just the way it is. We spend our entire lives amassing all this wealth and all these great things. So in the end, it normally passes away if we're blessed in a bed with family beside us. Some don't even have that. It is not about our possessions. It is not about what we amass. It is about the character. It is about what we do. It is about the love we show. It is about the faith we have. It is about the devotion that we show to the one we worship. That is really all that matters. You know, one method of being happy is being content. Being content, learning this concept of being grateful, learning this concept of appreciating what we have. You know, the younger generation, this is a real issue. The younger generation, they want everything. And of course, some of the older folks want the same thing. But as to be content, we should be grateful, we should be thankful, we should be appreciative of what we have. And again, not covet. Not long for something that's not ours. Not look to the, our neighbor and say, oh, I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. Or I wish I had that job, or I wish I had that bank account, or I wish I had this. No, we're to be content. Another way of being thankful is focusing on what lies ahead. It's another problem. So many people are, are, are focused on the now. They're not focused on what really counts. What really counts, we haven't achieved yet. Nobody in this room's achieved what really counts. Because what really counts is Yahweh's kingdom. We understand that. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve Elohim acceptably with reverence and awe. For our Elohim is a consuming fire. What do you suppose it means here when it says a kingdom which cannot be moved? 
For me, this conveys the absolute permanence, the stability of the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. In life, in this life, and I want the young people, you know, we have quite a few teenagers, and I want you all to listen. In this life, there are very few things certain. Life can really throw you some curveballs. Life can be very hard. Life can be very challenging. We don't know what the future holds for our relationships, our jobs, or even the years we have remaining. I know as a teenager, as a young person, we think that we're inevitable, we're just, we're going to last forever. And we don't see that someday our lives too will come to an end. We don't see the struggle sometimes of our health or what will lie in the future for us. In a moment, any one of these things can be taken away. But the one thing that we know will not be taken away, the one thing that we can be certain of is Yahweh's kingdom. The promise that Yahweh has given us through his kingdom is permanent, reliable, and unchanging. And that's the message we find here. The kingdom, the promise of the kingdom is permanent, it's reliable, it's unchanging, it's not going to fade away, it's not going to go away, it's not going to change, it may not happen, no, it's going to happen. Scripture says it is it is permanent. It is permanent. And as we know, it is far greater than what we have now. And again, that's hard as young people. But once you hit your 40s and those years begin to tick away, you realize how short life is. And you realize that yes, life is wonderful, life is great, we form wonderful relationships, we should, but life is still short. And it does not compare to the promise that awaits us in the resurrection. Within his kingdom, there will be no more pain, sorrow, crying, or even death. Things are going to be perfect. And when we say perfect, things are going to be perfect. It's not like it is now. We say perfect where nothing's perfect in this life. No relationship is perfect, no no person is perfect health. No person is a perfect job. There's always issues. And that's just the way life is. Life is hard. Life is complicated. Life throws you curveballs. Life throws you challenges. And we succeed in life by whether or not we're willing to work hard and show that initiative. But in the kingdom, we know that, there, again, there will be no more pain. There will be no more challenges. There will be no more tribulation. We also see here the word of serve Yahweh says with reverence and awe. The word reverence in the Greek here conveys the thought of righteous fear. Some people believe that we're not to fear Yahweh, not in, not in the sense of being afraid. I tend to disagree with this. I believe that we should fear Yahweh. Now we shouldn't stand there just waiting for him to strike us down, but we should have a dose of Dose, good dose, healthy dose of fear. Verse 29 describes Yahweh as a consuming fire. As believers, we should always remember to fear and to reverence the one we worship. Now, in 1 John 2, verse 15, we see that we're to make a separation also with the world. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. Notice that, but it says of the world. All of these things, they don't represent Yahweh. They don't represent his truth. They don't represent his morality. They don't represent his ethics. goes on to say, and the world passes away. You see, it's going to vanish away. It's going to go away. Everything in this life goes away. Everything. Our jobs, our wealth, our lives, everything will eventually go away in this life. There is no permanent anything in this life. But he that does the will of Yahweh, or the the will of Elohim, it says, abides forever. So John says here, love not the world. Love not the world. Love not the things within the world, he says. These are some of the most important words we find within the New Testament. Love not the world. So many people that get into trouble, including in the assembly, they love the world too much. They want to embrace too many of the immorality, too much of the immorality that we find within the world. They want to embrace those worldly values, if you can use such a word. 
But Scripture says we're not to love the world. We're not to love the, quote, values of this world. We're to remove ourselves from this world. We're not to be like this world. Now, why is it important that we love not the world? Well, as we see here, if we love the world, it says the love, the love of the Father, the love of Yahweh is not in us. Who wants to be guilty of, of Yahweh's love not being within us? This reminds me of what Yahshua said about mammon in the book of Matthew. He said that we cannot serve both Yahweh and mammon. And mammon essentially is money. Yahweh said that we cannot, we cannot serve mammon and mam, uh, Yahweh and mammon, Yahweh and money. And I, that's another lesson because, we, again, we have a lot of teenagers here, older teenagers, and getting to that point in their stage in their life, they're going to be looking for work. They're going to be choosing occupations and careers. And I will give you all a piece of advice, and that is put Yahweh first. So many people, they choose careers that, that compromise their faith. And as believers, we should never choose a career that would compromise our faith. I had a major, and I was talking to somebody within that industry, and I said, is Sabbath going to be, is, is Sabbath going to be an issue? And they said, absolutely. So I switched my major. Because Yahweh comes first. His word comes first. And again, if we put Yahweh's word secondary to a career, we are putting mammon before him, or we are... Loving the world more. We must choose which one we're going to serve. But listen, we cannot serve both. I've seen over the years, certain believers, they try to do both. They try to skirt that line just right in the middle there to, to try to serve the world, walk in the world, the, the, the things of the world, and then also try to be a believer. Where I'm telling you now, you can't do that. You must choose one or the other. You must choose if we're going to serve Yahweh or if we're going to serve the world. But we can't do both because the two are in opposition or contradictory. And you can't serve two things equally if, they're, if they are contradictory. You just can't do it. It's not rational. John here closes by saying that the world will pass away, but the person who follows Yahweh will abide forever. Well, that's an amazing statement. As we know from Ecclesiastes, this life is full of vanity, it says, and chasing after wind. We see, though, with Yahweh's kingdom, that this is eternal. This should provide us with all the reason of the world to be thankful, to be grateful, to realize that even though everything in this world will someday come to an end, including our own existence in this world, that we have a great promise that will not pass away that will not go away. We have a promise that we can rely upon. And again, I'm just going to emphasize once more with the young people because it is so critically important that we understand the vanity of this life and the futile nature of this life and to realize those things that really count. I'm very thankful as a person and as a believer. I have a good job, a great family, pretty good kids, a great wife, a good assembly. There's a lot of things that I feel very thankful of. But the greatest thing is what lies ahead, and that's Yahweh's kingdom. Now, another way of being thankful is serving others. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yahshua. What does Paul mean when he says here, strife and vainglory? Well, this simply refers to conflict and pride. That's all it refers to. As we find in Proverbs, pride, pride is one of the seven abominations that our Father in heaven hates. He calls it an abomination again. He abhors it. And believe me, if we're guilty of, a, of an abomination, we're not going to achieve Yahweh's kingdom. We were talking about in the Bible study, we were looking at Romans 1, so you can only imagine what the topic was, and it was an abomination. And I made the reference there that an abomination is the worst of the worst. Yahweh reserves that word to describe what he abhors. 
And here it says in Proverbs that he abhors where he finds a haughty person an abomination. As believers, we, we should be humbled. We should be humbled. And Paul speaks about here lowliness of mind. What is that? Lowliness of mind. Well, it simply means humility, to be humbled, to think humbly. You know, as a side note, why did Yahweh choose Moses? Was it because Moses was a great leader? Was it because Moses was a great warrior? Was it because Moses was articulate with his words? No, he chose Moses because it says he was more meek or he was humbled more than any other man. That's why he chose Moses. You know, he could have chosen many, many, many men. He could have chosen a man who was one of boldness, a great communicator, a great military leader, a great leader in general. But no, he chose Moses. And Moses was really none of those things. Moses struggled with certain things. That's why he wanted Aaron. But what Moses had, no other man had. Because it says he was more meek than any other man. He was more humble than any, any other man. You see, humility is such an important attribute for us as believers. If we don't have humility, we're not going to be found worthy. The Bible says that he was chosen again because he was meek. And we're going to be chosen if we're meek. Yahweh is looking for those who are humble, not for those who are prideful and arrogant. Sadly, we still see that in the assembly. We still struggle with that, and we all struggle with that to some extent, having pride. We have to always be watchful and, and, and uh, looking for those attributes that offends our Father in heaven. Paul goes on here to say that we should esteem others better than ourselves. I believe that this is another way to be thankful, to esteem others better than ourselves. This is a very hard thing to do. Most of us, by just human nature, we want to look out for number one. Our first priority in this life is, is me, and maybe, maybe it's our wife and our children. As a husband, I can say that. But how many people think, okay, what about my brother here or my brother there or my sister? Scripture says that we should first think of others before our own needs. How many of us do that? Really ask my own family, mostly on what I want, or do I try to focus on the needs of others? Do I try to support others? Or I would kind of think that if we ask honestly, we're probably all somewhat guilty of that. Thinking first of ourselves and not of others, but here we say that Scripture says that we should be thinking first of others and our own needs secondary. Now, why is this important? Well, I believe by serving others, we remove self. And when we remove self, we find fulfillment and are thankful. Some of the happiest people on earth are those who serve. Some of these missionaries that go out, and I'm not necessarily supporting going out to a missionary service within a church, but but some of those are the happiest people on the face of this earth. They're fulfilled, they're satisfied, they're grateful, they're appreciative. They have nothing, but they're all those things because they serve others. And there's value in serving others. There's a sense of appreciation, a sense of gratitude when we serve others. And that's the message we find here. Paul goes on to say that we should have the same mind as Yahshua the Messiah. Yahshua in the book of Matthew said that he came not to be served, but to serve. I always make the point here, this, is, this was a son of Yahweh, this was the Messiah. If anybody had the right to be served, it was Yahshua the Messiah. He could legitimately be served. But he said when he came, his purpose and his, his goal was not to be served, but to serve. That was his goal. And that's the example that he set for us. As believers, we're to follow in this example. We're to follow in this example of we're not here to be served, but to serve. That's the whole point of the foot washing, by the way, to be to serve others. To serve others. If we're not, if we're not serving, we're missing the boat. We're missing the purpose. And I would encourage all those here and all those listening, make it a goal to look beyond yourself. Look beyond yourself. Look at ways you can help others. Look at ways maybe you're not supporting your brother, supporting your sister, those who you can, the power within you, the means within you, but you just choose not to because you're so focused on your own family or your own self or your own kids 
or your own career or your own whatever it is, we're to focus first on others. That's a hard thing. It's a hard saying. It's very difficult. But Scripture says to do such a thing. Now, as we know, life is not always easy. We've talked about that. But even in times of hardship, we should be thankful. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10 says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Notice that. I take pleasure, Paul says, in infirmities. Most people would say, I despise infirmities. I abhor infirmities. I loathe infirmities. I can't stand infirmities. Paul says here, I take pleasure. I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Messiah's sake. Why? Because he says, for when I am weak, listen, he says, then I am strong. Paul begins here by saying that he takes pleasure in the things we find in this passage. The word pleasure is from the Greek Eudokio, it means to think well of. The King James translates this word as to think good or to be well pleased. Paul views these items in a positive way. He's thankful for these items. He's grateful. He's appreciative of these items. So what do we find? He mentions here infirmities. Infirmities is sickness. Reproaches, referring to insults or injury, necessities, referring to needs, personal needs, things we need. And we're not talking about the Mercedes or the big screen TV. We're talking about necessities that we need. Persecutions, hardships, distresses, meaning anguish or calamity. How many of us take pleasure, take pleasure in sickness or insults or hardships or times of anguish or persecutions? Paul did. Paul was thankful for these items. Paul was appreciative of these items. Most of us get pretty miserable when we're sick. We're going through some sort of hardship. Why me? Why can't I feel better? Why can't people stop doing this or that or whatever it is? We can be pretty miserable sometimes. But as we see here from Paul, not only was he not negative, but he was thankful for these items. Why? Why was he thankful Why was he thankful? Paul says here that when he is weak, he is what? When he is weak, he is strong. Let that sink in for just a moment. When he is weak, he is strong. When we as people suffer and are brought low, we tend to appreciate Yahweh that much more, don't we? Sometimes things are going good. We have a great job, a good family. Things are just ticking away, and we don't don't have a care in the world. But we kind of lose focus on what really counts. We, we lose that desire to focus and rely upon the one we worship. But when we're brought low, when we're humbled, when we go through an anguish or a tribulation or a trouble or hardship or whatever it is, we find ourselves appreciating Yahweh that much more. In the Torah, we find Yahweh warning Israel, says, you know, when you come into the land and, and you do well, don't forget about me. Because so many people, they do that. They forget about him. Again, life is great. Good job, good family. Plenty of money. Doing what I want to do, when I want to do it. Everything but pursuing and following and devoting and focusing on what really counts. And that's why Paul says here that when he is weak, he is strong. When he is going through this stuff, he is strong because he is brought low. We need to remember this lesson. We need to remember this lesson. Sometimes going through some sort of tribulation strengthens our faith. It puts life into perspective. We remember what really matters. We remember what really counts. Even when life is hard, we need to be thankful for what we have. We need to remember that what we don't have. But we need to remember what we do have. Because even in those times of weaknesses, there's always something to be thankful of. If nothing else, if everything in the world is taken away, At least we have Yahweh and his word and his promise to be thankful of. And nobody can take that away. We can be in our dying bed, if you will, and moments from death, and and nobody can take that away. Nobody can take that promise away. Nobody can take that, that, that gratitude away. Nobody can take that appreciation for the truth away. The only person that can remove that appreciation is us. Now, we have power to do all of that. We have power to to be negative, we have power to be miserable, we have power to to doubt, we have power not to show fit, we have power not to be thankful. 
But we can also choose and have the power to be thankful, choose to be grateful, choose to be appreciative of what we have within this life. And we need to remember that lesson. There's nothing greater than having Yahweh as our Father in heaven and nothing greater than the future promise and hope of his kingdom. Everything else in this life is meaningless. Talk to somebody in their 80s and 90s, and as they look back, one of the things I really enjoy about Ecclesiastes is, is realizing who wrote it, realizing that it was near the end of his life, realizing who this man was, realizing that this man had everything he ever wanted. Solomon had everything a person could want. He says that in the book. Nothing was withheld from this man. But at the end of his days, he describes life as vanity of vanities, all is vanity, in a chasing after wind. None of it matters. None of it's important. We go through life. We live life. We pursue that big fancy job. Again, we amass all our wealth to look back and realize it was all for naught. It was all for naught. Now, I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't pursue a good career. I'm not saying don't have a a great family. What I'm saying is to keep life into perspective and realize the blessings we have now and in the future. Because, again, everything we have in a worldly sense could be taken away. Our families could be taken away. Our career could be taken away. Our personal substances of whatever it is could be taken away. But the truth, the promise that we have through Yahweh can never be taken away. No matter what they do to us, no matter what they say to us, the truth and the promise of Yahweh's kingdom, of his truth, of his word, can never be taken away. This alone is worth all the wealth in the world. As we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, we should always give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks. For listen, it says, For this is the will. This is a desire. This is what Yahweh wants. He says, this is the will of Yahweh and Messiah Yahshua concerning you. So Paul says here that we should give thanks in everything we do, that we should give thanks. We should be grateful. We should be appreciative of everything we do. In fact, it says here that this is Yahweh's will or desire for us. Some people believe they have this really strange idea that Yahweh wants his people to be miserable. Where there's nothing in the word that says he wants us to be miserable. There are some miserable believers out there. But Yahweh says that as believers we should be thankful. We should be appreciative. We should, have great, we should be grateful for life and what we have. We should be positive. We shouldn't be negative. And again, there's some pretty miserable and negative people out there, including within the faith. But we shouldn't be that way. It says here that we should be thankful in everything we do. Now, this includes good times. Of course, most of us, we're, we're thankful in good times. But this also include, includes bad times when things aren't going so well. Again, life is not always easy. Life is not, for many people, life can be very, very hard. And I've seen some situations over my years, and you just, you really feel bad for that, that person because they have such a horrible situation to deal with. And some people do. They have a very, very bad situation to deal with. And sometimes life throws those things at you. I've had people say, why you know, did this happen or why? But probably the biggest thing is, is why, um, why in bad health I've, I've known people, I've believers, to get cancer, die from cancer and other sicknesses. And people ask why, and I don't have all those answers. So life can be hard, life can be challenging, but we all have something to be thankful of. And we should never forget that. What's amazing to me is, these people who suffer with horrible sicknesses, horrible sicknesses, and they still find ways to be thankful. Some people, even knowing that their life will some quickly come to an end via some sort of terminal illness, and even through that, they find a way to be at peace and to be thankful. And the only way we can achieve that, by the way, is through faith in Yahweh and, and believing in his promise. At the end of the day, I truly believe that our faith will be tested. When we're near the final hours of our lives, will we have faith? Will we have belief? Will we be at peace with where we're at? And again, that only happens if we really believe, if we really have faith.
But again, if we have clothes on our backs, a roof over our heads, food to eat, we should all have a sense of appreciation because much of the world does not have this. In fact, here's a few statistics from actionagainsthunger.org. It says, as many as 800 and 811 million people worldwide go to bed hungry each night. When's the last time you went to bed hungry because you had no food in the home? Can you remember a night when you went to bed hungry because you had no... We're not talking about atonement, by the way. Yom Kippur does not count. Can you think of a day, a night, when you went to bed hungry because there was no food in your home to eat? I think we would be hard-pressed to think of an example personally here in this assembly. If we did not have food to eat and we were hungry... About nine, 690 million people globally are undernourished. Now, we might be undernourished, that's because of diet here in the States. But that's not true for a lot of people. They just don't have the food to eat. An estimated 14 million children under the age of five worldwide suffer from severe acute malnutrition, also known as severe, severe wasting, because they waste away when they don't have the nutrition they require but they can't find the nutrition because they don't have the nutrition. 14 million. Not a fan of the UN, but according to the UN, 25,000 people, including more than 10,000 children, die every day because of hunger. How many people do we know that's died because of hunger? We probably don't know anybody personally who's died of hunger, but... According to this information, 25,000 people around the world die every day because of hunger. Because they don't have food to eat. How many people do you know? There are millions of people suffering in this world. As believers, we need to be mindful of this and grateful for the blessings we have. Sometimes we get into this, these moods and we, these, uh, these uh, attitudes and we, we're just not grateful. We're just not grateful. We think about all that we don't have and all that we deserve and should have. But sometimes we need to realize that people are dying around this world because they lack the food to eat. And that millions, 14 million around the world are malnourished because, again, they don't have the food and the nourishment they need. Truth be told, most of us have no comprehension of what hard really is. I think a lot of us think we know what hard is. I think if hard times ever hit us, we will know what hard is. But we have a lot of stability in this nation. We have a lot of wealth in this nation. We have a lot of great things in this nation. We have a lot to be thankful for. Imagine being in Ukraine right now and fleeing from your home with your kids, not knowing where you're going, where you're going to eat, where you're going, what anything, everything is uncertain. We have a lot of stability within this nation, a lot of stability within life. And nobody starves. There are so many government programs, nobody starves in this nation. Everybody that needs something will get what they need as far as food goes. We don't have any of that here in this nation for the most part. Maybe in some places, but certainly it's not the norm. We all have clothes, food, and a place to lay our head. That's more than millions around this world. And we just need to be mindful of that. I want to continue talking about the blessings we have for Yahweh. And here's what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah 12, verse 2, it says, Behold, El is our salvation, I will trust, and not be afraid, for Yahweh is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. We find the word salvation twice. Twice within this passage. Earlier, we talked about the greatness of Yahweh's kingdom, the promise of his kingdom. There's nothing greater than the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. And it's something that we can rely in. This should give us all reason to be thankful within this life. If not, in, if not this life, again, the life to come. No matter what we're going through in this life, again, there's reason to be thankful. And that's the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. As we've already talked about in Yahweh's kingdom, there will be no more pain, anguish, sorrow, suffering, or death. Now, we all know people suffering from those things, people suffering from pain, people nearing, maybe even death. 
but in the kingdom none of those things will be here. We also see the word of trust in Yahweh, not be afraid. Fear can diminish our appreciation. Fear can reduce their gratefulness that we should have because, again, we allow fear to set in. As believers, it's important to remember the strength that we have through our Father in heaven. There's nothing more powerful in this universe than the one we worship. We should never forget that. We should, again, be mindful of that. That the one we worship, that literally there is no power in this universe greater than him. He can do all things. He can achieve all things. And I firmly believe that as long as we follow him, he will never forsake us. When we have Yahweh's Elohim, there is no reason to fear. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Joshua and what Yahweh told Joshua. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. We have no reason to be fear, fearful of anything. I want to look at James 1 verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Notice that. Every good gift, every perfect gift, everything of a value is where? It's not in Walmart. It's from above. It says, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is there no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We see here that, again, that all good gifts, that everything of value come from, comes from Yahweh, comes from above. And as we've already talked about, there's really nothing of substance we gain from this world. I don't care what it is. Give me a list. Write down things you think that have substance or value in this world. Give me a list. Because we're going to go through that list, and we're going to discuss why those things don't have value. A job, yes, a job has value, but not permanent value. Someday that job's not going to be there. Someday we may quit. Someday we may retire. Someday we may get fired. Whatever it is. But someday that job won't exist. Someday that house won't exist. Someday that vehicle won't exist. Someday we won't exist. There's nothing on a list that we achieve in this world of permanent value. But that's not true of Yahweh's word. Again, in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity, it says, and a chasing after wind. As we also heard from Yahshua, A man should not be defined by his possessions. A person should not be defined by what he or she has. Real blessings are not found in this world, but they're given by Yahweh. That's where we find the real blessings. That's where we find the real gifts. We also see here that that with Yahweh there is no variableness. Now what does that mean? Or Strong's defines this as fickleness. Yahweh's not a fickle being. According to Malachi 3, verse 6, Yahweh doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a great sense of confidence we should have, that we worship a mighty one that doesn't change. Unlike mankind, which is none of those things, Yahweh is all of those things. He's constant. He's never changing. He's reliable. He's dependable. He's consistent in everything he does. And as believers, we should take great confidence in that truth. Now, in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, we see another reason to be thankful. It says, O give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Yahweh's mercy is, is an amazing thing. It really is. When we consider Yahweh's greatness, it's amazing to me that he even still has compassion for mankind. When we consider his greatness... On one hand, we have Yahweh, the most powerful and perfect being in this universe. And on the other hand, we have mankind, a being that is flawed, rebellious, and stubborn. And yet we know that Yahweh loves mankind. It's remarkable, though, that he has any concern for mankind, considering the the contrast between him and mankind. And yet he does. We see in Psalms 103, it says there that as a father pities his children, Yahweh pities those who fear him. The word pity means he he has compassion upon us. I believe we would all agree when I say that Yahweh's love and mercy and his compassion are amazing and certainly undeserving for mankind. As we see in John 3.16, Yahweh so loved the world that he sacrificed his only son. I want to close with this today. 
says, For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, and for a good reason. It says here that Yahweh so loved the world, he so loved mankind that he sacrificed his only son. Have you ever considered the price that Yahweh paid for our sins? We've talked here recently about Yahshua and what he suffered and what he went through and the price that he went through. But look at it from, from Yahweh's perspective. Consider what Yahweh gave and the sacrifice that he paid so that we might have hope of eternal life. We know that from the word that Yahweh can be grieved and saddened. We find examples of that. Yahweh has emotions. He's not just this spirit being out there emotionless. No, he has emotions. We see that all throughout scripture. We can grieve Yahweh. We can please Yahweh. He has emotions. I'm sure it broke his heart to see his son die the way he did. I'm sure as he was watching, as he could from on high, seeing the torture and the punishment and the anguish that his son was suffering, that it was just breaking his heart. Do we appreciate, as we should, Yahshua's sacrifice and Yahweh's sacrifice? Yahweh sacrificed a great price. I know that life can be hard and that we can often forget, but the sacrifice Yahweh and Yahshua paid should be reason enough to be thankful should be reason enough to be grateful, should be reason enough to be appreciative of life. So next time we find ourselves miserable, next time we find ourselves complaining or griping because we don't have X, Y, and Z, next time we're looking at our neighbor, we're looking at somebody we know, and we say, boy, I wish I had that. Let us be mindful. Let us consider of the, the promise we have in in front of us, the promise we have in the future. As his people, I pray that, that, we, that we're always thankful for everything we have in this life. But most important, I pray that we understand and we look to the future, we realize what lies ahead. Because again, this life is hard, this life is challenging, sometimes this life is unfair. But listen, Yahweh's truth is never unfair. Yahweh's kingdom is never unfair. So I pray that we hold on to those promises, and I pray that through that alone we can find ourselves being thankful, grateful for what we have. And, and listen, here's the other thing. If we're grateful, we're just happier people. If we're appreciative, we're happier people. Some of the most miserable people on this earth have no appreciation for what they have. So let us remember that. If we want to be happy people, if we want to be positive people, well, let's begin by being grateful for what we have. May Yahweh bless you.